and I would listen to their tapes on repeat and it really helped transform my mind because I started to realize that like what I think I believe and anything that I believe I could eventually achieve. Hello everybody and welcome to the Mentors Podcast. I'm your host Ava Wetrick. Here on this show, we talk to luminaries from around the world to discuss their journey towards success and what wisdom they have to offer the younger generation. Each episode, we have on a new guest, a new story, and a new path towards personal success. I hope you're ready, and I hope you enjoy. Today, we have on Hala Taha. Hala is the host of the Young and Profiting podcast. She interviews some of the brightest minds in the world and their main mission being to turn their guests' wisdom into actionable advice. They are top 10 in self-improvement and how-to on Apple Podcasts in the US, Canada, Australia, UK, and more. Hala herself started her career at WQHT Hot 97 as a production assistant for Angie Martinez. She then went on to create the Sorority of Hip Hop, an entertainment, news, fashion, and music blog that gained massive success, and now she works at Disney Streaming Services. Her days with Disney and her nights and lunch breaks are dedicated to her podcast. Interviewing Hala was such a fun experience for me personally. She is brimming with field experience and gives impeccable advice and directional pointers when she was developing an early career. One thing that had me absolutely floored was the fact that she dedicated almost all of her time to her personal development or her work. No slacking here. If you are looking for an ambitious mentor, I'd like to present you to Hala Taha. I think that's a little better. Yeah, the makeup looks great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How are you? Honestly, really well. Um, I am one of the, so I'm 19. I'm a freshman, I guess, sophomore now in college. Okay. Um, and I've kind of sheltered myself uh, it, to the world. So I recently, just last night, I finally got to have like a night to myself. And I had like, I just, my oh, friend and I were just so hanging good. out all night. Yeah. So I was enjoying it. I was like, oh, the one night I get off. Cause most of the time I just end up, I just do all this. I love researching. Researching you was really cool. I did like a couple, I went to like the ninth page of Google for you. And at that point it was just like foreign languages. It was really <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> Probably other, <laughs> other halatahas in the world. <laughs> yeah. There's a, like, there's like a really big, um, Halataha, and she's an orthodontist or a dentist. dentist. <laughs> yeah, have you have you talked to her? No, no, it's so funny. Everybody's always like, "Oh, you're probably the only Halataha in the world," and I'm always like, "No, there's actually a lot." Um, it's a popular Arabic name, so. I think yeah, I think it's beautiful. And so, how are like how are you doing? How's life been treating you? Everything's good, you know. Just working really hard, you know. I. Disney streaming is my full-time job. And then I have the podcast, which is also like a full-time job. Then I took on a freelance project in addition to all of that. So I'm just like busy, busy. <laughs> yeah. But oh my gosh, yeah. I don't know how you do it. Cause that's something I really wanted to talk to you about because, um, out of all the interviews you've done and out of all the research I've done on you, there's yeah. no sign of that burnout, but you take so much dedication and you have so much discipline. Yeah. So, you know, what does that 24 hours look like for you yeah. and how do you discipline and focus yourself, uh, throughout every day? Yeah. So, um, I, I like to, Basically, my nine to five is dedicated to Disney. So like I said, I work full time at Disney. So nine to five or six is really just dedicated towards Disney, except I do use my lunch hour to do interviews like all the time. So right now, me and you are talking, I either use my lunch hour to do an interview on another podcast or for my own podcast. Um, I also wake up super early and I have a video editor in the Philippines. So 
Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the times I work with her early in the morning and make sure that like our videos are good. I have a, a podcaster client, Heather Monahan, and we'll be reviewing her videos and making sure that Yap has um, all of our social media content ready. And, you know, I just like to multitask. So we use Slack all the time. So I'm always communicating with my team throughout the day, making sure that, you know, um, everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And the beauty of what I'm doing is that I delegate a lot of my work. So that's how I'm able to manage so many things. I have a pretty decent team at Young and Profiting. I have um, about eight people who work on the show. And so I have support with research. I have support with social media, YouTube, um, you know, even booking guests. I have somebody who works on that. So it's like everybody has like their little responsibility and it's mostly interns who just want to learn about podcasting. And so it's, it's um, great for me because I, I don't necessarily have to pay for people to work on the show. It's people who are just really into what I'm doing and they want to learn. And so I get to be like a mentor, teach them everything. I have like one-on-one -on -one sessions with them. And basically I create like the, the, either the process or the template or the standard. And, and then I teach them how to do it and they replicate. So it's good for everyone. And, you know, once they've graduated from that and they're not learning anymore, um, I bring in new interns. So that's kind of how I, I manage having a full-time job and in podcast. It's really just about scaling my team and training my team properly. Yeah. I love the idea of that. And the fact that you have interns that you don't necessarily have to pay uh, in order to work for you because you offer just quality services along the line, like along the board, you know, you have these top guests, you have such a huge background in marketing experience and you have just a lot to offer, but you know, to the, I don't want to say to the average podcaster, because I know for a fact, I love doing the research. I love handling the interviews. I love trying to control it all, but you need that team. You need to, so you can, you know, you can have more time to yourself to what really matters. So you can help scale that. Totally. How did you find these interns? How did you find that team and how did you attract them? Or how could the, um, a little more of like the average podcaster attract them? Yeah. So actually Everybody who's an intern on my show was originally a listener and it was people who just felt so compelled to reach out to me and say like, I want to help. What you're doing is awesome. I just want to learn. I want to be a part of the show. So most of it was people reaching out to me. I did have one push um, maybe six months ago where I put out a social media post. We're looking for three new interns. I wanted somebody specifically for video and social media. They need a little bit more skills and we recruited that way. And so I put out a social media post and, you know, it, it went a little bit viral and I got a lot of submissions. And so like, I just put out a Google form and I had people fill out, just like submit their resume, fill out what they like about the podcast, why they want to be a part of it. Um, but the, the best members that I've had on my team that really show up every day are the people who like, reached out to me by themselves and just wanted the experience and they just wanted to learn. And, um, my favorite type of intern is the person is the, is the one that's just like, I just want to learn everything from you and I want your guidance. And I just, uh, want to continue learning how to eventually one day have my own podcast or, or whatever it is. And I will say that I do pay some people on my team. So I pay my video editor and I pay my audio editor and that's because they have skills that are beyond my, my knowledge. So anybody who I can't do it as good as them, they get paid. Anybody who is, I'm more training them and they're gaining experience, they don't get paid. And um, I also love to do research. So even though I have a team, I'm just, we're basically doubling down on research because I'm listening to like 10 episodes per guest of their past interviews. Wow. Um, I spend 10 to 20 hours of research myself. I'm reading their books. I am usually the one that like dives deep. Um, and my team does like surface level research. Um, I'm obsessed with research. So <laughs> 
Yeah, that's something I really wanted to ask. You know, you 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 take a lot of pride and you and you should and in terms of your amount of research and quality of research and that's how you can get a really great episode. So, in terms of your standards, not goals, in terms of your standards of research, what does that look like? What are you specifically looking for um, in those research points and what do you present to your guests? Yeah, so I definitely have a flow of my show. I always open up with an intro to get a background of the guest. Um, I feel that my my listeners probably, even if it's a famous person, they they usually don't know their background, right? So I'd like to get like their career journey, like and ask like specific questions about their path and like who they are as a person, and that's how I usually start off the show. And then I like to dive deep into one or two really big topics. So I like to figure out what their expertise is and then study everything about it. And so I have so many different topics on my show. It's not like just about, um, for example, if it was just about marketing, I would never need to study, right? Because I know everything about marketing, but it's, it's about everything. I, I talk about like mental health and, um, you know, real estate and like so many different random topics like bio biohacking and, and things that I need to like study. And sometimes it's really hard to learn like in, in a short amount of time. And so I like to dig deep on those topics and kind of keep it topical. Um, I know a lot of podcasters kind of just go with the flow, jump all around. I know exactly what I want to ask them and what I want to get out of them. Um, and I usually even know how they're going to respond because I've listened to their conversations so many times. So I even know like what my follow-up question will be if they ask me, if they say something back that I remember or that like a story that I'm familiar with. Right. So, um, I like to be really topical. And then I end my show with like, you know, what's your secret to profiting in life and, and like where, where they can find you. And so like there is like a, a flow and a format. Um, in terms of the, the standards, I like to know like, you know, all their big accomplishments. I, I like, like I said, I like to really be an expert and become studied about what they're an expert on. And then I also like to see like who's not um, agreeing with their perspective. So one of the things that I learned, and that's from Jordan Harbinger, who's uh, another podcaster that I've interviewed before, and he's huge. Um, he told me to look at uh, book reviews and, and not only the good ones, go look at the bad ones, because sometimes you'll find people who are in their field that disagree with what they're saying. And so I'll also try to like, you know, see like what the other perspectives are and see how I can bring out those other perspectives. That's really cool. Cause something I, cause you interview so many really, you interview so many big people and something I was kind of debating on asking you is what happens when you disagree with a guest? Like if they say something and you're like, I actually think you're wrong. And if you're taking these other opinions, like how do you incorporate that in terms of going through an interview and saying, Hey, but there's other people that say you're, they disagree with you. How do you take that information? Yeah, so like, how do you do that? I never want to make a guest feel uncomfortable. That's the last thing I want to yeah. do because then the conversation will go south. So I'll be mm -hmm. like, what would you say if somebody said X, Y, Z? And then I'll say the negative opinion. Or what do you say to the to the naysayers who say X, Y, Z? And I make it more of like, what do you say to other people who, who come at you with this opinion? And usually they have a prepared answer because they've heard that negative feedback about their perspective before. And so it just helps like, yeah. like give their reason as to why they're right. And then, you know, I might counteract with, oh, well, you know, the other perspective is blah, blah, blah. So um, I just say it in a way where it's not going to be offensive, but it still lets my listeners know that there's other opinions out there on the topic. That's cool. I, oh my God, I want to try some, I want to try that out later on. That's a really cool tactic that, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know, I geek out about some of this kind of stuff. And honestly, on the, on the topic of negativity, um, something that I learned about your story, which is really interesting, is that the environment you had in middle school and high school 
And then later on, when you had this passion of like, I want to be a singer. And then you're like, well, now I work at this radio station. Your parents kind of were like, okay, but all of your siblings are doctors and we don't like the idea of you deviating from that path. So yeah, in of a lot. And again, like I remember you saying during the time of high school, when you were in high school, that's when 9-11 was a really, you know, big deal. And you're like, why yeah. Palestinian? So it was really interesting. How did you face all of that adversity and then really rise to the challenge or, you know, especially with your parents kind of say, Hey, I love you, but I want to do what I want to do. Yeah. So I like great job on your research. Not a lot of people do their <laughs> research. So great job. <laughs> you remind me of myself. So um, yeah, I'm Palestinian American. Um, I grew up in a family of all doctors. Uh, my dad's a doctor, my uncles are doctors, um, and my siblings ended up being doctors. So like you said, it was it was pretty difficult kind of to persuade everyone that like I'm going to be in broadcasting. And um, basically, I just had such a passion for it that I just decided to go for it. And um, in the beginning, it was difficult, but my parents saw like the potential in me. And so um, just to give everybody some more context, what happened was is that when I was in college, I had dropped out um, because I had an internship at Hot 97, which is the number one radio station in pretty much America, especially at that time, on the number one show, the Angie Martinez show. And I had the opportunity to like be her assistant. I was an intern and I wasn't getting paid, but I worked there for three years. And that's what a lot of the um, interns did at the radio stations. Basically to, to be an on-air personality on a major radio station, something like Hot 97, you basically have to be an apprentice for like five to 10 years before you actually get that. And so that's what I was, uh, I was basically getting, getting primed to be like Angie Martinez's replacement. Uh, she ended up leaving the station right after I quit. So it's great that I didn't continue on that path because I would have just been kind of screwed. So anyway, I dropped out of college and I was definitely the black sheep of my family for doing that. Um, I'll be transparent. It was pretty difficult. Um, I always felt like at family dinners, everybody would be, my cousins and my siblings would be talking about what residency program they're in and um, who's graduated what and what boards are they taking? And I would be like, yeah, I work for free at a radio station. <laughs> like, look at me, you know? Um, but you know what? Everything happens for a reason. And I ended up like gaining a lot of skills. Um, and I, you know, when, once I left Hot 97, I started a, a website that became really popular, like super fast. And I hosted parties and I interviewed like celebrities and um, I started like skill stacking and, and learning how to do web development and social media and copywriting and, and, and blowing up on social media and strategies to do that. And, um, you know, I, I did really well there. And then my parents started to trust me a little bit more that I knew what I was doing. And then I ended up getting my MBA and um, I got a 4.0. I studied my butt off. And at that point, that's like the turning point. My parents were like, okay, she's not stupid. You know, she's doing great. And um, I did actually take like a five-year break from the entertainment industry. And I worked at Hewlett Packard and I just kept getting promoted and promoted. And um, and it was mostly because I was had such a different background and I was like so outgoing and, you know, had so many skills that like as a marketer in corporate, I just like stuck out like a sore thumb and, and kept rising the ranks. Um, and then my last year at Hewlett Packard, I launched Young and Profiting Podcast. And, um, you know, the rest is history thought. And then I, I moved to Disney and got that job. But um, once I was in corporate and I was able to like really have a successful career, my parents kind of got off my back and were like, do whatever you want. You got it under control. And um, and even though I was the black sheep, yeah. they still always treated me with love. So I don't want to act like they they were bad parents. They weren't. They just wanted me to be successful. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, you know, I was talking to someone the other day about this. Um, she has a phenomenal story. You know, she's a, at 16, she fell backwards on a stage into the uh, trap door and she fell 16 feet and she's a C5 quadriplegic. Oh, wow. And something that she struggled with is that later down the line, she's like, I love my mom. I love my mom but she tried to hold me back out of love. She's like, oh, you know, like, I don't wanna, yeah, I, I, you know, it, you, this, the world is scary and I kinda wanna protect you. She's like, mom, I need to, I need to experience, oh, yeah. I need to be out there. And so I completely get it. Like, they mean it out of love, they do, but they're just a little, they're a little afraid. Cause like, well, if it's not, like, your siblings are doctors and yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have a funny story. So um, when I had the hip hop website, I was scouted by MTV to have my own reality TV show with them. Yeah, And yeah. so um, they, they did it twice, we didn't get the show twice but the second time that they filmed us they invested a lot of money into the reality tv show so they might have invested $150,000 they got us the studio in New York um we Whoa. threw concerts that they paid for and you know it was really cool and they filmed me I was like the lead in the show and me and like five other girls but I was like the main one and so they would film me at home and they would film me like with my friends with my boyfriend and I think one of the reasons why I didn't get the show is because my family was not into being filmed and so like they didn't want to open up they weren't interested in the show and that really hurt me back then because, mm. and I've never said this anywhere, so you're the first one who knows about it, um, that I felt like I might have not gotten that opportunity because I felt like, well, like the main lead of the show, her family doesn't is not like opening up and they kind of wanted to position me as a black sheep, which I was, but at that time, like my family still loved me and they wanted like more drama than they were willing to do because they didn't want to look at they didn't want to be portrayed as I was the black sheep on national television which maybe in the end was better for me you know but that's yeah, probably yeah. why I didn't get the show honestly is because my family didn't want to be on it and they they probably felt like well there's not enough for the lead character to to play off of so yeah that is the MTV way to like really interject a lot of drama oh, yeah they were and like yeah you're tell us why Hollis, Hollis sucks. Like that's what they, the type of questions they were asking my family. And they're like, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> so yeah, especially yeah. on national television. Like, yeah. So I, yeah, it's like a weird understanding. You're like, Oh, I love you. But like, maybe you should say why I suck. Yeah. <laughs> just like once. please, just a little bit for the pilot. Cause I kind of want the show. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And there's so much to talk about here. Like I, don't even know what direction I want to take right now. Cause like something really cool that you said is like, I kept getting the ranks, you know, you, especially in the corporate world, you kept, but the reason why is you kept making your own opportunities. You kept building up. Um, I know in the corporate world, like, um, when the companies you went into, you're like, I'm going to create my own organizations. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to take all of the, like in a way, like when you really started out, you did a lot of the bitch work, like, which I hate to say that, but you are like, I will do whatever it takes. And same with your interns, you know, they're coming to you creating their own opportunities, which I find amazing. And, you know, for people who don't, especially young people, they don't really know how to do this yet. Is there like a loose template or format you can give young people to say, hey, if you want something, here's how you can create and develop your own opportunities? Ooh, that's a good question. So a template to help people create their own opportunities. First of all, I would say be open-minded. Um, mm -hmm. look around. So like, let's start with a corporate environment. You get your first job or your first internship. People like people, people like proactivity. That's like mm -hmm. probably the number one thing that you need to do is be proactive. Look around and say, what is something that my boss or my coworkers need help with that I can help fill that gap? 
without mm-hmm. anybody even asking and then show up and be like, look what I did. You know, there, there's this, um, you know, everybody d- does these reports and I thought that I could standardize a template. Um, let me know what you guys think and just like do little proactive things like that. Right. So that's one way, mm-hmm. which is like actually directly helping the business. The other way is to help the culture of the organization. So for example, when I worked at Hewlett Packard, um, they had uh, employee resource groups, which basically they're, they're um, organizations um, for my own minority groups in the company. So whether it's women leadership or black um, employee resource groups or young employee resource groups or veteran employee resource groups, a lot of these big corporations um, have these type of opportunities. So I went to my office and um, there was a pretty large community of young employees and there was also mostly older employees. And so the young employees kind of felt like left out and they were dispersed across departments and um, they didn't really know each other. So I saw the opportunity. There's a, a global young employee network and they had local chapters all around the, the country, but there was no local chapter in New Jersey. So what did I do? I started the young employee network and I recruited everybody and um, we ended up throwing our, like I was the one who organized my company's first company picnic. I was the one who organized Whoa. my company's first holiday party. I was the one that started our tradition of our Valentine's Day, like heart association drive and colon oh. cancer cake, cake walk and like all these That's different so things. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I started all these yearly traditions and they still are happening. I left the company and they're still there happening. And it's like all these like templates that I started and like um, frameworks for organizing the events and even like posters that I created, they're still using them. And like, it's like a whole nother set of people. And it's like, I kind of just like pass that down. And so I helped facilitate a culture within my organization and that helped me get visibility to leadership. So all of a sudden the CEO knew my name because I was asking him for money for a picnic, you know, and so cool and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's, I would say that's one of the best ways is to think about how you can enhance the culture. And in that way, you not only get respect from your colleagues because you're putting on really cool events for people and making them like have a more fulfilling time at work, you're also getting visibility to leadership um, and getting new skills. Like event planning wasn't part of my day job, but then it became a skill that I learned because I started the Young Employee Network. Um, So that's definitely another way, another avenue to um, succeed and and, uh, get recognized at work. This is what I'm talking about. How Liz's ability to take charge and assume responsibility in her work got her massive recognition, new skills, and opportunities even beyond the company she worked for. I think any young person that takes this advice is destined to shine and build themselves a great character. And if you'd ever like a compiled short and sweet article of this advice to go back to, there is a free resource article titled, Getting Ahead at a Young Age, Opportunity and Proactivity for You in the bio below. Tomorrow, we'll be discussing big concepts like marketing tactics that got Hala ahead, the law of attraction, and how it radically shifted Hala's view of herself, and how you can achieve that too.